0: Wake up! It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast, episode 89, Circadian Somnia. I was up before the dawn. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Sleep Unplugged podcast. My name is Chris Winter. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist and your host. If you're new to the Sleep Unplugged family, welcome. We're excited that you're here. If you're a veteran of the show, welcome back. It's been a busy week. We had a lot of fun last week recording weighted blankets got a lot of great feedback about that and want to thank baraby for sending me some blankets to test out really appreciate your support of the podcast in that way we are always looking for new ideas and topics for the sleep and plug podcast so if you have one reach out to me via my social media it's dr Winner instagram Dr. Chris Winter Twitter. Uh, we've got TikTok, Blue Skies Threads. We have a YouTube page. It's the Sleep Unplug YouTube page where we post the videos of all of this content. And I'm going to tell you all who are listening right now. We've got a really big surprise for next week. If you're consuming the content via YouTube, because we are shooting it on location and it's very much related to the topic we'll be talking about. So. Definitely want to tune in next week to that. For our comments, corrections, criticisms, we have a few. The first one, I'm going to go back to last week when we were talking about, uh, I think it was Yvonne who said, I really think you should do one on delayed sleep phase, which really inspired us to do uh, uh, advanced sleep phase disorder, which really inspired us to do this episode. That's going to incorporate a lot of circadian rhythm thinkings as it relates to insomnia because this is the first Monday. I cannot believe it. It's the first Monday of March. So we're already diving into insomnia Monday and we're going to talk about insomnia related to circadian rhythms this episode. But Yvonne, we appreciate you listening and we're doing this for you. I'll throw one more a listener comment. This was Mookie. Mookie said, love the podcast. Keep it going. I recently started running And I get bored of music and most podcasts, but yours is one of the few that keep me engaged while I'm running. And and he was talking about reading some books about dreaming, was interested in dreaming somebody else, uh, was talking about having epic dreams. And so we'll definitely do an episode coming up on nightmare disorder. I think that'd be a great topic. So if you're a listener of the show, you know, we always try to feature a musical quotation in the title of the song. So I was up before the dawn is from one of my favorite songs and one of my favorite groups. It's Goodbye Stranger by the group Supertramp, which was essentially Rick Davies and, and Roger Hogson, who were the two main sort of yin and yang of that group. And they, this was sort of the pinnacle, I think of their musical writing abilities. They wanted to write for their sixth album, a fun album, and one that was a little bit lighter in tone uh, than their previous efforts. And so the album Breakfast in America was born. And a lot of people think of it as being some sort of criticism or satire about the United States, because they were English. Even looking at the cover, it's sort of the, it's a diner, Uh, you know, waitress at a diner. Her name's Libby for like Liberty. And she's standing like the Statue of Liberty with a platter and a glass of orange juice. And the city of Manhattan is like breakfast cereal boxes and pancake batter. I mean, it's the most creative album cover I think ever. It won the Grammy that year for album packaging. This was nominated for, I believe, record of the year. It did not win, but it was a really... Really just fantastic effort and produced the song, not only Goodbye Stranger, which we're featuring on this, but also Long Way Home, Logical Song, and the song Breakfast in America. So fantastic album, wonderful group, excited to put that on the Spotify playlist. So if you listen to the show, every song that we reference in the title, we put on a Spotify playlist. So where if you search up on Spotify, Sleep Unplugged, Playlist, there's volume one and volume two. Volume one was the first year of the podcast. We are now um, deep into volume two. And I guess we're coming up on volume three soon because we're about to hit episode 100 in a few weeks. And I, I guess technically episode 104 would mark the beginning of year three. So I can't believe that's how far we've come, but here we are. So we're moving on within five minutes to the meat and potatoes because there's a lot to talk about. And you know, I, I, my guess is we could do a podcast about every six months when we begin Daylight Saving Time and end it. So this podcast is really a continuation of other pol- other podcasts that we've done related to the circadian rhythm. So we have done one on jet lag. So when you think about circadian rhythm disorders, these are disorders that create a mismatch between our intrinsic clock, which we talked about in the episode we did on circadian. I think we just did a circadian episode. I don't remember what the what podcast it was, but we talked about how the superchasmatic nucleus sets the time clock for our bodies, et cetera. And uh, it was, that was episode 14, circadian rhythms, time may change me, right? So Bowie Lyric. Um, so in the continuation of that umbrella of circadian rhythms, we get other disorders based upon the way we create mismatch. So if I take you, put you on a plane and fly you halfway around the world, I have now created a mismatch via jet lag. So there is jet lag circadian disorder. That was episode 36. Or if I tell you, hey, you know, why don't you, instead of working days as your body naturally wants to, we'll put you on nights and that we, call that shift work disorder, that was episode 44. There's non-24, which is often seen in individuals who have distru- disruptions in circadian timing, often seen in individuals who are blind, also irregular where your circadian rhythm is, is to some degree not functioning properly, so you've got a much more irregular rhythm to your schedule and all these are very difficult to sort of deal with. But there's another group that was alluded to by Yvonne, When she contacted the show and said, I've been diagnosed with advanced, um, advanced phase, uh, advanced sleep phase disorder. So, what she's saying is, I naturally want to go to bed early and wake up early. And she was frustrated by that. And that's where the song, the title, I Was Up Before the Dawn, comes from. It's because these individuals struggle to stay up to an appropriate bedtime. And appropriate, I'm using that loosely as the term for average. And so by going to bed early, they're awakening early and struggling. So that's advanced sleep phase disorders, delayed sleep phase, which we think of more in terms of teenagers, where they want to stay up late, they have trouble going to bed early, and then they naturally want to sleep in later. So I thought this was an appropriate time. Like I said, we could do an episode every six months related to daylight saving time. And I didn't want to go over that again, because we did talk about daylight saving time in our episode about it, which was episode 18, where we talked about, well, there's a couple things going on with daylight saving time, and we're getting ready to experience it on March 10th. So we will go to bed, spring forward, fall back, we will awaken an hour off of where we were expected to be. And with daylight saving, there are really two things happening. And we've talked about those in the episode, there is the adjustment, the hour adjustment, the you know, flight from Atlanta to Chicago or something where you're, you're crossing one time zone. And now when it's, you know, you, you've flown from Atlanta to, or so let's, let's say from Chicago back to Atlanta or Chicago to New York. Now it's 11 o'clock, it's time for you to go to bed, but you're kind of used to being on Chicago time. So you go to bed at 11, your body feels like it's 10 o'clock and you might struggle to fall asleep. So that is a nice sort of representation of the individual who is on the who has the delayed sleep phase. That's the teenager. If you look at it in the opposite direction, the individual who is flying from New York to Chicago, it might be difficult for that individual to stay up until 11, their natural bedtime, because really 10 o'clock is their 11 o'clock. So they fall asleep at 10 and they wake up really early the next morning. So that east to west travel sort of mimics the individual who has advanced sleep phase disorder, the west to east, more the delayed sleep phase disorder. And with daylight saving time though, which we were about to experience, the problem becomes the alignment is a little bit different from what we expect. And that's important when we start to talk about these sleep disorders that we're talking about, meaning that yes, you have to adjust an hour, But even after you've, you know, theoretically adjusted that hour, your body and brain are still to some degree aware of time cues, zeitgebers, light, temperature. So there is research out there that basically says, look, we never adjust. That even once we've gotten over that one hour hurdle for some people, when we're on daylight saving time, because the timing of where the sun is at our, you know, quote unquote noon our body knows that something's wrong. I mean, theoretically, we could make the middle of the night, the darkest part of the night, noon if we wanted to. We could create that as being our noon and we could pull out our lunch boxes and eat our sandwich and our Darth Vader thermos and have lunch at that time and go on about our lives. But our bodies are going to know, wait, this is not the middle of the day. This is night. This is when we want to be sleep based upon our brain secretion of melatonin. So you can look at daylight saving as being a little junior uh, example of this, that yes, it's only one hour, but we're one hour off of what is healthy. And that's where we start to get into the movement for permanent standard time. And we've talked about Karen Johnson on the show a lot. We, Isn't it interesting how we always kind of refer back to it? It's, it's that pervasive in sleep, right? We're talking about the fundamental machinery of sleep here that she's basically saying, look, if you evaluate the research, and she is, she along with a lot of others, you evaluate the research, it's inherently unhealthy. Yeah, but I like to grill after work and I don't like to do that in the dark. Great. That doesn't change the fact that when we're on daylight saving time, we're a bit mismatched. So looking at car accidents, health consequences, they're higher during the time period when people are on daylight saving time. When we switch back to standard, we still have that hour adjustment, right? But we live better on standard time than we do daylight saving time. So what we're creating here are a couple sort of theories that we're going to stick to, we're going to stick with through this podcast, which is there is an appropriate time for you to be awake and an appropriate time for you to sleep. And while we might be able to adjust to other times, there is going to be a time that is inherently healthier and improves our performance better. And that's, I think, really important to kind of file away in our brains here as we start to think about The topics related to this podcast. Hey, but I like daylight saving time. Hey, I really like working night shift. Hey, I like working a schedule where I'm 7A to 7P. And then, you know, two weeks later, 14 days later, I'm 7P, 7A, said the, you know, night shift nurse, said the factory worker, said the whatever. That's great. Again, we're not changing what is inevitably or inherently healthy. You know, I, I, was, I posted a, a video on my Instagram this week, went out with some friends to a restaurant we got I've never been to. We got some really good pizza and I had been tiling all day. So I like to do sort of house projects. We had ripped out some closets and around a laundry room and consolidated two closets and this tiny little laundry room made it a much bigger sort of pantry utility space. And we got all these cabinets put into it, got some, you know, countertop put onto a little utility sink, which didn't exist there before. And so this weekend I decided to tile the backsplash behind the washer and dryer, behind the, you know, the countertop or whatever. Fascinating, right? So after that went out that night, and sometimes after I do a lot of work like that, or a lot of yard work, a beer tastes good. I don't drink a lot, and I've talked about that on the show, but you know, we were at this dice restaurant, they had drinks. So I was like, well, I'll have a beer. And I got this really good beer, like three blonde girls, like three blonde girlfriends or something. <laughs> intriguing, intriguing name. Sounds like a nightmare, but um, boom, had that. It was great. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, this is so much fun. I haven't seen you guys in a while. Let's go to this speakeasy or something, you know, which nothing does anything good ever come of a, from a speakeasy when you're looking around for a secret door that takes you to a place where you drink alcohol? Does anything ever really good come of that? So we, we went and it was cute and really neat vibe there. And you know, they all got a drink. So I got a drink. I got a Negroni. I got a Negroni with tequila, which I think is delicious. And it was a delicious drink. So I got home, immediately started hydrating and, it just didn't work out. Like my sleep was not that great. I would not have said it was that bad the next morning. But fortunately, there was an eyewitness next to me who really said, wow, Chris, that was a disaster of a night. So, you know, I think about alcohol, I think about coffee, I think about circadian situations like shift work and jet lag and Working nights and working in, and people saying, Well, I can drink a whole pot of coffee. It doesn't affect me. Oh, Chris, I could have a tequila Negroni one with dinner. It doesn't affect my sleep. You know, these they do, they do affect your sleep. So I want you to imagine a bell curve. And on that bell curve, everyone in the population is sitting on that bell curve. And what the bell curve is sort of situated, what, what, what it's trying to, describe or explain is when we're at our best in terms of our circadian rhythm. And we've talked about that. We talked about that in the circadian episode, episode 14, that you can figure that out. There's that horn Osberg survey, a morningness, eveningness questionnaire. Go online, look up MEQ or morningness, eveningness questionnaire, and you can figure out what you are. Are you a night owl? Are you a morning person? We were laughing earlier. Uh, Dr. Michael Grandner out at uh, 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 Arizona. Um, uh, Dr. Funke, who we gave an award to. Um, we're, we were all in an article that was written. I can't remember who did it. We, I got blanking on the name of the article. But it was an article and you can look it up. And, and it was about de d- chronotypes. And we were laughing that you know, every now and then people come up with their own sort of names for chronotypes, like, you know, bull weevil or, you know, trash rat. I don't know, like, what are, you know, just different names for it. just basically essentially it's all night hour morning person. And I, I said, I'd come up with one that were different divas, the Mariah, the J-Lo, the, you know, the Madonna and, um, you know. Whoever, whoever your divas are. Um, Celine, who's one of our, our invited guests on the show. And it wasn't great when she was on that award show recently. And, and she looks so great. I just We all wish the best for Celine Dion. She's one of the few people who are invited to be a guest on the show. We'll, we'll have to add some more people to that list. It's been a while since we've invited somebody new on the show who never comes. So when you think about all these sort of circadian sort of situations, And that bell curve, we're all on the bell curve, right? So you have their morning types, the the real morning, you know, larks, we talk about being more circadianly advanced. They tend to be older individuals in general. So Yvonne, who wrote the show from her profile picture, appears to be an older individual. And as we get older, we become more circadianly advanced. We want to go to bed early. We want to wake up early. And for some people, that's very frustrating. And then when you look on the other end of the circadian bell curve, there are the delayed sleep phase. Those are the teenagers who want to stay up late and get up late. So when we think about these different disorders, it's thought that about 3% of the population has some sort of circadian disorder. And I'm sure you're thinking, well, Chris, wait a minute. This is insomnia Monday. Why in the world are we talking about circadian disorders when Monday is supposed to be about insomnia? Because the insomnia and the circadian disorders share a lot in common. Number one, that 3% is probably a very big underestimate because a lot of these individuals do not present as as circadian disorders. They present as insomnia. So let's think about Yvonne. Yvonne, when she was growing up, slept great. I mean, Yvonne was a great sleeper, but as she has matured, She's finding it more and more difficult to stay awake to watch her favorite show, which is The Walking Dead. I'm making this up, but I've got this picture of Yvonne that she breaks a lot of mold. She's not a typical, not a typical person. And when you look at her, you think, "Okay, no way this woman is into like apocalyptic movies and Walking Dead. She loves Walking Dead. And she's thrilled that there is a new show now called The Ones Left Behind. And she's she wants to stay up every night until 9 o'clock and watch it on AMC. And she can't. She, she barely can make it to 8.30. Falls asleep on the couch. Next thing she knows, she wakes up. It's almost midnight. And she has missed Rick trying to get back to Michonne and the people he left behind. And she's upset by it. And now she tries to go to bed, she can't, she wakes up at two o'clock in the morning. It's just frustration all around. So that typically is what an advanced sleep phase disorder looks like. So how do we diagnose these disorders? Well, there's some criteria that sort of have to be followed. And if you're looking for a really good reference about circadian disorders, There was a paper in 2022 called Circadian Rhythm Sleep-Wake Disorders in Older Adults. It's a really good reference for anybody who really wants to dive deeper into the research related to it. It's a very, very well done article. So what are the diagnostic criteria here? So again, this is Insomnia Monday. So I'm going to read you the three main criteria for essentially any circadian disorder. And I want you to tell me if something rings familiar in terms of what we've talked about related to insomnia. So number one, the complaint is chronic, meaning that it wasn't just one night you struggled with your sleep. This has been going on for a while. Generally speaking, we say three months. I would love to be invited to a meeting where we come up with sort of definitions about things. And I would fight for two months and six days just to be arbitrary. <laughs> three months to me is so throwaway. So let's just call it chronic. It's chronic, something you've dealt with for a long time. Okay. Number two, the patient has problems with sleep, either difficulty falling asleep at the appropriate time, difficulty remaining sleep, waking up too early or waking up too late. So there has to be a problem that's demonstrable with the sleep. And some degree of excessive sleepiness, fatigue, some some disability. Number three, the sleep-wake problem generally goes away if that individual is allowed to sleep on their schedule. So if the world would change for Yvonne, not the sun, just the timing of things. AMC calls up Yvonne and says, hey, we've heard our nine o'clock timing of the ones left behind. I think it's the name of the show, the ones left behind. I don't know I'm making all this up we've heard that's causing you some problems. So we're going to change it and start broadcasting new episodes at 7 p.m. or 6 p.m. if that's okay. So now all of a sudden, the television show Yvonne wants to watch is at 6 p.m. Maybe her partner is deciding, hey, look, I I like eating dinner at 5. Let's just eat dinner. So the whole thing changes around to facilitate Yvonne falling asleep around 8.30. And then when she wakes up at 4 a.m., her favorite coffee shop down the street says, Oh, we can wake, we can start serving coffee at 4 a.m. It's no problem. And the person delivering her paper says, Yeah, I can come by before 5 a.m. when I usually drop off your paper and come by before. So now all of a sudden, this schedule's kind of working for Yvonne because all the things she's trying to accomplish have sort of bent to her will. But that's not exactly what happens. So the final thing I want you to think about in terms of the criteria and I want you to think about it in terms of Insomnia Monday is, I'm going to read it out loud here. The sleep-wake problem causes clinically significant distress or impairment of one or more areas of functioning. So distress, that's a big one, isn't it? Because if, as one of the, you know, so when you look at treatments of circadian disorders, Yvonne says, Chris, what can I do? The first one is acceptance. You can do nothing. You can just go to bed at eight, wake up seven hours later and move on. And if you're like, okay, well, I'm sure there's people out there who are doing that on both ends of the spectrum, right? The delayed sleep phase, the advanced sleep phase, they're just doing it. Well, what do you do for a living? Well, I, I write for various magazine. I write for Yahoo. I write for self. I write for women's health sometimes. So I just write articles and 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 publish them and I get paid to do that and I can kind of do it whenever I want to. So I like to stay up late and get up late because I don't have any office where I need to be at. So accepting these things can be something that you do. Um, but when we start to create angst or problems with it, that's when it becomes a disorder. I run into somebody to party and they're sitting on a plane. They're like, oh yeah, i to get to bed early, get up early. I go to bed super late, get up super late. Oh really? Is that a problem for you? Oh no, I've always done it. I like it. It feels good. No, no big deal to me. There we go, right? It's not, it's not really a circadian disorder if you don't find impairment with the situation. So what causes it? Family history, which is another word for genes, right? These things tend to be somewhat genetic in the sense that our circadian rhythm is genetic we've talked about the genetic influencers of our sleep profile you like to sleep a lot you like to sleep a little you like to sleep late like to sleep early you do well with sleep deprivation you don't these are all genetic inf- genetically influenced and we're going to do a podcast on sleep genetics and this was inspired by a listener in the Netherlands who happens to share my last name. And so we've been kind of communicating back and forth and we're like, Oh, let's let's do genetic testing and figure out if we're related. I was like, that's great. And I thought, let's take it a step further. There's some testing out there that tests. If you have the genes for restless leg, the genes for narcolepsy, the genes for certain sleep disorders. So I really want to find one of those and, and test myself and see what's going on. Because like I said, if you listen to the podcast, you know, I struggle with restless leg for sure. I struggle with catathrenia, which I don't know that there's genes for catathrenia, And I do snore from time to time, particularly when I have a beer and Negroni that seems to bring it out. So what else causes these, these disorders? Um, so family history is one. Older or younger age, depending on if we're talking about advanced sleep phase disorder than the older individual, delayed sleep phase. For advanced sleep phase, individuals who go to bed a little too early, wake up too early, that's common in autism spectrum disorders uh, th- that we see and can be really frustrating when your child or the person you're caring for is waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning and they are ready to go. That can be a problem as well, too. I think there's sometimes also some short sleep duration in there as well, too, which can be really problematic for caregivers. Uh, too much exposure to morning light. So if we're getting up and having a lot of light in the morning, it's kind of creating a really strong circadian cue that might make it difficult for us to stay up. And that's the basis of an intervention we'll talk about in a minute. And then other environmental factors like work history. Hey, Chris, all my life, I had to be up at four o'clock in the morning to go to work. And now I'm retired and I continue to have this sort of early situation, which people always ask, can we change our circadian rhythms in to some degree the answer is yes, and this is sort of that sort of the the backwards working of that, right? All of your life, you've had to be up really early and now you can't shake it. You see it a lot in military as well too. You know these people who arrive at West Point, arrive at the Naval Academy are individuals of all different chronotypes. but the military has one preferred schedule and everybody needs to be on it. So when you look at individuals leaving these service academies, I'll bet that bell curve distribution of chronotype is much more tightly packed when they throw their hats in the air than when they first arrived. And I think that'd be a really cool study to do if anybody's listening out there. Let's go out and do horn Osbergs of every plebe or what do they, they call the the first the plebes or the naval academy, what are the, the, the grunts or maybe they're plebes too at, at at West Point. So let's do horn Osbergs on them when they arrive. And then four years later, let's do them again and see if that bell curve has become more narrow. I'm really, I've always been really interested in that. So let's switch gears, look at delayed sleep phase. What causes that? Well, regular sleep schedule. So I stay up late on the weekends. I have to get up early to go to school. That's a big cause of those. Being confined to a bed for an extended period of time tends to create delayed sleep phase, which is why you see that a lot in hospitals. Lack of exposure to light, jet lag, and then also you know certain brain injuries can often damage that mechanism that controls the circadian rhythm and create sort of delayed sleep phase. So what do we do about it? Yvonne's like, listen, I've listened to your Super Tramp. I've listened to you characterize me as a fan of Walking Dead. I'm, I'm willing to hear it all. But what I'm really here for is, you know, what do I do about it? And what, what are the treatments for it? So the biggest one, I think, is adherence to a schedule, Another, if we're going to do research at military institutions, I'd be curious how many times people wash out, get kicked out, voluntarily leave because they say, you know what, I just couldn't deal with the early morning schedule. My guess is the number is extremely low. Now, that's not to say there isn't an adjustment. I imagine it's quite an adjustment when somebody walks into your room at four o'clock in the morning and starts yelling and banging a stick on a trash can. And you got to jump up in your shorts and your T-shirt and tuck your chin in and stand there while they yell at you. And then you all run outside in the rain and run circles. I mean, I don't know what they do. It sounds like this what I see on TV, right? They're all running around doing all this stuff. Right. And so, can you imagine the stress hormones going through your body at that point? Now you're outside and there's hoses and you're running and push ups and pull ups and people are screaming at you. And then you do it the next day and the next day and the next. My guess is there's a lot of physiological changes that are happening in that individual to get them prepared and ready for what's coming every day at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever this is happening, right? So I imagine if you were to sit down and talk to a group of these midshipmen or cadets and say, what was the first week like? They would say it was horrible. This was such an adjustment. I didn't know if I was coming or going. And if you said, okay, well, great. Now you're, you're a couple of weeks away from graduation. Tell me about how you feel now. They're probably like, yeah, well, I usually wake up around, 4 30 in the morning, 15 minutes before my alarm goes off naturally now. And when I'm on vacation and when I'm at home and when I'm on leave, it's pretty impossible for me to really sleep in effectively like I used to. Or it's a lot different. I used to sleep in until two o'clock in the afternoon on the weekends when I was in high school. That capacity has sort of left me to some extent. Now, I imagine some degree of sleep deprivation will allow them to sleep in a little bit, but for the most part, I'll bet you a lot of them have said. That intense scheduling has really helped to change my chronotype. If I'm guessing, I'm guessing our little survey when you first get there right before you graduate would change dramatically in a lot of people. So that can be very helpful. For people who have advanced sleep phase disorder, another help, and this would be more for Yvonne, would be using bright light therapy. So why would that work? So bright light therapy, the timing of it is very important and the intensity is important. We're generally talking about somewhere between two to 5,000 lux, so very bright. And so what happens is around 7 o'clock, Yvonne, when Wheel of Fortune comes on, that's your cue to get in front of some really bright light. And there's all kinds of light box therapies that are exist out there. It used to be when I was first getting into sleep, Decades ago, these boxes were expensive. Now with all the lighting um, choices we have and technology to create bright light is not as difficult as it used to be. So it has to be bright light, full spectrum. So at seven o'clock, Yvonne, you're gonna pull that little light box out and turn it on. There's not great protocols for this. You know, how long can it flash a couple times? Does it have to be? I usually tell my patients, you know, five to 10 minutes of exposure. And you don't have to stare directly into this, you know, really bright. You just want to have it near you. So if you're reading or watching TV or sewing or, you know, checking out Walking Dead forums on your phone, you know, on Reddit or whatever, whatever you're doing, you just have the light near you. So why would that work? So what do we know if you listen to the podcast about the effect of light on our brain? The light goes into our eyes, gets sort of picked up by some cells in our retina, gets sent right back to our suprachiasmatic nucleus and tells our brains and our pineal glands to stop making melatonin. So what's happening naturally with Yvonne who's struggling to stay awake up until a certain time, her melatonin is kicking in early, right? She's got that dim light melatonin onset and if she's in dimmer light in the evening and not does not around that bright light, what starts to happen is she's creating the sequence for getting ready to go to bed. So we can interrupt that sequence with really bright light. So at seven o'clock, all of a sudden her brain's like, whoa, what's going on? What is happening here? There's so much bright light. It must be noon. It must be during the day, right? So we're now creating a situation where her body is thinking that it should not be producing melatonin. So five or 10 minutes, take it away. It can really help. And we've used bright light therapies before. I I had one. Somebody sent me one many years ago, put it in my office, would turn it on when I would get to work in the morning because I'm more of a delayed person, right? It's hard for me to wake up in the morning and that light really helped in the morning. And when you look at delayed sleep phase disorder, individuals are teenagers again. Oh, I don't want to go to bed. I'm not tired. I want to stay up late. What can we do for those individuals? The light, we can use, still use light, but we tend to use it earlier in the morning, right? As, as soon as that individual wakes up, because that light, as soon as it wakes up, can be a liability in the advanced sleep phase disorder. In fact, it's one of the causes exposure to a lot of morning light, the farmer, get up. You're out there in the barn doing all your stuff. As the sun comes up, you're getting all this morning light tends to create a situation where that individual becomes more advanced. There have been times I've gotten up early to exercise in the morning every day, and it definitely makes me more advanced. feel more awake during the morning. I feel a lot more of a difficulty to make it to my typical bedtime at night. So I'm actually changing the way my body kind of works with that. The other medication we often talk about is melatonin and melatonin can be useful if used appropriately to adjust somebody's circadian rhythm. In fact, there was a study called efficacy of melatonin with behavioral sleep-wake scheduling for delayed sleep-wake phase disorder. So in other words, what they were doing is for the delayed sleep types of teenagers, they were saying, hey, look, We'll put one group here that we'll just kind of carry on as normal. This group, we're going to give melatonin about one hour before their typical bedtime. And so what they found was with some behavioral modifications and that melatonin given earlier, that they could actually start to kind of affect an individual's um, sleep schedule. So, And you can use melatonin in individuals with other sleep weight disorders, it just becomes a bit more complicated in terms of the timing of it. In other words, if you're trying to advance somebody, they're getting ready to travel to Korea. So some teams in Major League Baseball this year are traveling to Korea to play some preseason games, the Dodgers and the Padres. So how could you actually create a situation where they could feel a bit more awake on that schedule when they come back? It's some of the things that we're kind of working on right now. And sometimes melatonin can play a role in that to help you facilitate getting used to a schedule, or if you're a shift worker, getting used to being on nights now. And, and, and so there's some evidence out there that some of these circadian disorders can be helped with melatonin, but there's a lot of inherent problems with melatonin. There's not really clear guidelines. And the biggest obstacle is probably you've got a melatonin gummy bear in your hand or a pill. Do you know what's inside of it? And we've, there've been several studies that show that, that perhaps you don't. So again, fixed sleep schedule, lots of exercise, appropriate exposure to light, and really trying to relax when sleep doesn't happen and go back to all the things we've talked about in previous episodes about insomnia, about when your sleep doesn't work the way you want it to, what is your plan? I've got a plan for you. If tonight you're getting in bed or March 10th rolls around and we start daylight saving time and you're all messed up from that, you're not gonna panic. You're not going to exhibit fear responses. You're not going to worry. You're going to pull out your music player and you're going to listen to Goodbye Stranger from the album Breakfast in America. And at some point during that song, you're going to fall asleep and things will be great. So that's it. Circadian rhythm, circadian insomnia, done and dusted. I hope everybody has a great week. I hope everybody has a great transition from standard time to daylight saving time. Talk to people, talk to your congressmen, talk to your senators and say, look, we want to abolish daylight saving time. It's not healthy. We need to be on permanent standard time so we can at least rid ourselves of one circadian disorder uh, pretty easily. That's it. Follow me on Twitter, drchriswinner. Follow me on Instagram, drchriswinner. Like and subscribe to the channel. I appreciate a couple of you writing reviews of the podcast that were really positive. We'll read those on the next episode. Find us on the YouTube page where you can see videos and tune in next week to the video because it's going to be from an interesting location. And until next week, sleep well.